these randoms keep getting jobs. Don't worry about it. I'm going to say, I can't wait to say it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Not Bland Show, and I'm your host, Dujanae Bland. And today, we know and you know we're powered by SportsJourney.com and everything Nitro. If you would, please go to the at the Not Bland Show on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share. It'd be greatly appreciated. Today is a great show. Uh, we're going to learn something today, guys. Uh, we're going to have Jim Oberhofer on the show. We're going to talk... A little bit about testing and tuning. We're going to try to educate ourselves today and uh, learn a little bit of something about what these tuners do uh, when it comes down to testing and preparing for the up and coming Gator Nationals. We're going to also have Austin Proc on and talk about the family affair, right? I mean, it has to be absolutely cool to be able to do this whole thing with your family. Um, and we're going to talk to him about his uh, cooking skills. Uh, I like to watch a lot of the uh, Food Network and a lot of these cooking uh, battles. Uh, I'm going to pick his brain a little bit and see what he knows, see see uh, his savvy <laughs> in the kitchen. Uh, I want to thank all our new people who are watching this show and who have sub subscribed to the show. Appreciate you guys. What's going on, Drag Race and Mayhem? Appreciate you. We got Briar Star in the building. And we got this guy. That's my brother. What's going on, Big Show? Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it, my friend. And here we go. Without further ado, uh, this guy really doesn't need a big introduction. He's right up there with all the top tuners. If you want to go fast and you want to do it consistently, this is the this is your guy. It's my man, Jimmo. How's it going, man? I'm doing good, John. It's great. It's it's great to be here. It's uh, I'm I'm really liking what uh, what you're doing with your show here. So it's it's I'm very honored to be on it with you right now. Man, I'm trying to provide something a little different. Trying to use my little football background and kind of blend the two to give us a, a little bit different show when it comes to talking about our uh, wonderful sport, uh, drag racing. That's that's it, it's it's. I, I like what you talk about. Those are my two favorite things, like football and drag race, and it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> Indeed. Um, you know, what got you started in being a tuner? Um, that's something that I, I, at least from my standpoint and looking from the outside, it doesn't seem like that's something that's really easy to become a master of. I'm sure you had you had some real good people to learn from, but what really inspired you to get into that side of drag racing well you know uh, growing up as a kid you know my dad raced um so uh he um he he started racing in um uh 
you know, in the late fifties, you know, back in the, the infancy of drag racing. And then, uh, in the late sixties, he had a junior fuel car and then, uh, went with some partners on the East coast, uh, you know, was partners with a couple top fuel teams. And so my brother, Jono and I, we kind of like grew up around, you know, nitro racing, so to speak, you know, whether it was top fuel or funny car, we loved anything that burned nitro yeah. back then. And, um, you know, during that time frame, um, you know, we lived in uh, New Jersey. Uh, we lived literally like 10 minutes from New York City um, in, in uh, uh, Bergen County. So, you know, you can hop on uh, I-80 and head east a little bit and cross the George Washington Bridge and we were in the city. Um, my mom and dad, they made the big move in uh, November of 1977. We moved to uh, Plano, Texas. In fact, they're still here uh, right now. And, um, when we got down there, you know, we weren't around the drag racing so much because my dad, you know, didn't have a car anymore. Didn't have all that, but he, he did, um, have a paint and body shop. He also worked at Chaparral trailers. And back then Chaparral trailers was kind of, if anybody who wanted a fifth wheel trailer for their race car, that's where they got it from Chaparral trailers. So he did some painting for them back then. And, um, uh, just happened to be right around the corner from the Blue Max shop that Raymond Beetle um, of Blue Max fame owned. And uh, Raymond Beetle was also the owner of Chaparral Trailers back then. So my dad, when he finally got back to owning his own paint and body shop, we were literally right next door to Chaparral Trailers. I could walk to the Blue Max shop around the corner down on Fabens Drive if I wanted to. Um, my dad used to take my brother and I over to the Blue Max shop quite a bit, and we'd get to see all the characters over there, whether it was Waterbed Fred Miller or, you know, Dale Emery or D. Gant. And uh, every now and then, Beetle would make a, a surprise appearance in our shop, you know, and that was always pretty cool. So a lot of neat people that would come and go. You know, I, I remember Big Daddy Don Gartlett's walking into my dad's shop, and I'm like, now that is cool. You know, yeah. large father is at the shop there. And, um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but through that, um, um, my dad, uh, did some paint work for Connie Coletta on some of his, his new chaparral trailers that he bought. And, um, Connie used to send Scott Coletta down his son to check on these trailers all the time. And, and, um, and I got a, I, a friendship with Scott and, um, you know, he used every now and then he'd stay at my mom and dad's house. Sometimes I'd have to take him to the airport at three in the morning because he would fly one of his dad's cargo planes back to Michigan, you know, from yeah. Dallas, Fort Worth and uh, struck up a, a great friendship with with Scott. Uh, Scott was uh, he was pretty close to five years older than me. And um, and of course, I looked up to Scott. He was like a, a hero to me. You know, he was a driver and you know, an up and coming driver and the son of Connie Coletta, who, you know, a, a legend of drag racing yeah. all in itself. And, um, I kept bugging Scott for a job and, um, I had worked on some alcohol cars local around the Dallas Fort Worth area with, uh, Frank Cook and Chuck Landers. And then I, I helped Jay Meyer on his alcohol dragster out of Freeport, Texas. Um, but I always wanted to go race with Scott. And finally, uh, the beginning of the 88 season, 1988, Scott offered me a job. And um, and I told myself, you know, I'm going to do this for a couple of years. And then when I grow up, I'll go back to the real world and, and get a real job. Um, 
but I loved what I was doing so much. And I never in my wildest dreams at that time, when I went to work for Connie and Scott, did I ever think I could become a crew chief because you looked at guys at the, at the time, um, you had, uh, you know, Dale Armstrong out there, you had Tim Richards, um, you know, uh, Dick LaHaye, Connie Coletta, you know, all these people, and you looked up to them, and whenever they spoke, it was like, you know, E.F. Hutton was speaking. You just sat there <laughs> and you listened, and you you always thought, like, there's no way I can be on a level with with those guys or an Austin Coyle or a Bernie Federley, you know, all these, like, great names of, 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 of nitro drag racing and whether they were – previously drivers and now tuners or, and stuff like that. And then, you know, looking at like, I, I, you know, seeing like Don Gartlett's coming to our pit area, you know, sometimes to talk with Connie, it's like, you know, man, there's a guy who like invented so many things in drag racing. And uh, I never thought I can do that. But the, the great part for me was, is that I was around so many great people in the sport and, working for Connie, like you don't really realize it at the time, but you're like working for a living legend, you know, and everything yeah. that he's accomplished in the sport, e even before I come to work there in 1988, he, he had accomplished enough in that period of time that he could have like quit drag racing and still been a legend, you know, no matter what. Yeah. But, uh, being able to learn from him, um, learn from Scott Coletta. Scott was a, a huge um, mentor of mine early on, um, Rob Flynn. Uh, Rob Flynn worked for Coletta's back then. And, and um, Rob, I, I tell people, I said, Rob taught me a lot back then. You know, I'd met Rob back in, even before I came to work for, uh, for Connie, because he yeah. was working for them at the time. And, um, you know, Rob taught me little things, you know, that have uh, stayed with me, you know, all of these years. But I would probably say, like, in uh, at the end of the 1992 season, the Coletta Motorsports were kind of in flux of, like, what are we doing? Uh, Connie was just expanding his air cargo company, and he had just bought three uh, 747s. And he scaled back on his racing program, and he told me, he says, I've got to pay attention to business. I have a sizable investment with these planes. And he says, I just don't know that we're going to, you know, race the way that we're used to racing i don't know that we're going to be able to do that down the road um but it didn't take connie long and he had everything figured out and business was going good but then he hired dick lahay and um when he hired dick lahay that kind of changed everything because connie was always very serious about racing but he was also very serious about his business and he had never taken that step to really hire anybody to run his uh racing program at that time um until dick lahay came there yeah. and he gave dick lahay the keys to his racing program and with that guys like myself my brother nikki bonifani donnie bender uh we were sponges and we everything that dick lahay taught us and he's the guy who really like propelled all of us to say, you know, we, we want to be crew chiefs someday. And, um, and so we worked at that, you know, we all worked at that, um, trying to become better 
at better crew guys, better at what we were doing. You know, back then my responsibilities were like cylinder heads and ignition. And, yeah. you know, Donnie Bender did a lot of the, uh, the, the pneumatics on the race car. Nicky Bonifani did the clutch. My brother was kind of involved in everything. And, um, and we all learned and we learned what it really took to be like a, a crew chief. And, and Dick LaHaye taught us a lot of that. And, um, and then Ed McCullough became, you know, uh, the lead crew chief at Coletta Motorsports. And he taught us a lot. Like he allowed us to grow even more. Yeah. And, um, and then at the, uh, end of the 99 season, you know, uh, Connie had sold his business. Um, everything was kind of not real sure where it was. And, and, uh, we scaled back. We went from running two cars back to one and, um, you know, a lot of people had left the team and Connie had come to myself and my brother and asked us what we were going to do. And, um, I said, well, we got no plans. We want to work for you as long as we can. And he's like, okay. He goes, well, what do you guys want to do? And I said, well, I want to be a crew chief someday. And he goes, well, I want to teach you. And, uh, that was the best thing ever for me. And, um, he taught me so much, you know, and the cool part for me, I had about a year with Connie where he didn't own Coletta air. <clears throat> he, he didn't have a business going on. So he was really focused on his racing program. Yeah. So he was like up to like wanting to try all sorts of craziness and stuff. And it was cool. And I, I tell people sometimes like, man, from 2000 to 2003, like we changed camshaft designs like 14 times. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't, but right. you learn, you know, every time from it. And, um, yeah, and that's really what propelled, you know, myself and then my brother and, you know, Nikki Bonifani down the road to like, you know, be crew chiefs. And it was, it yeah. was great. And I, and I owe a tremendous amount of that to, uh, Connie Collette. Yeah. Uh, you, come back and you you get on board with clay and, and I look back last year <coughs> and I'm like you guys had it like I think it was like a four or five first round exits and I'm like Jimmo just needs to get his mojo back was there a point at in that transition between stringer and Rick Ware where you felt like you were kind of losing your confidence in yourself and whether you you know, hitting the mark with your tune-ups and being able to get that car to go, you know, fast, like you really wanted it to. Yeah. You know, when, when I, um, parted ways with Coletta Motorsports, you know, at the end of 2018, I was pretty burnt out on racing, you know, cause I love my time working for Connie and I wouldn't trade that for the world, but we had grown pretty big and, um, you know, and I had a lot of responsibility on my shoulders and, um, you know, it was taking its toll on me. Um, so I didn't know that that time that I really wanted to race much anymore. And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, I went and helped Paul Lee for a little bit. Um, and, and Paul Lee and, and, uh, Clay Milliken and Doug Stringer, they kind of had like a marketing alliance that, you know, at that time. So, you know, I was able to help Clay a little bit on, in a consulting role. And then we worked on putting Paul Lee's funny car together and, um, you know, and I kind of did that for a couple of years. And I remember at the end of the 20, 
21 season and I'm looking around and I'm looking at some of my friends that are crew chiefs or assistant crew chiefs and they're all participating in, in the countdown to the championship. Yeah. And, um, a little part of me, I was a little jealous cause I was like, I'd like to do that again someday. I think I can do that. You know, I just need to be in the right situation to do that. So at the beginning of the 2022 season, Doug Stringer called me and asked me about coming to run Clay's car for him and that he wanted to make a change and wanted me to come run his car. And, uh, you know, after a while, I, I said, you know, I'd like to do that again. And I knew that, you know, um, we weren't a well-financed team. We weren't going to be a well-financed team, but what I was looking forward to was working with Clay because he's just a fantastic human being in, in my opinion yeah. and a, and a fantastic driver, great driver. Um, and I really like Doug Stringer. He is just this happy go lucky guy. And no matter what's in front of him during the day, he doesn't let things get him down. And I like that atmosphere. And, yeah. and the thing that I liked is that we didn't have a lot. So we didn't have a lot of parts or pieces. And so it made me have to really think about how we approach things yeah. and um, how we went about things to try to be able to make sure we could get to the next race. And, um, you know, and that was, you know, when I first came on board with Connie in 2000, when I was his co-crew chief on Doug Coletta's car, we didn't have a lot of money then either. And, um, you know, so same thing kind of had to learn how to race smart so you can get to the next race, you know, right. back then. And, and some people go, what Coletta's, you had to do that. Yeah, we did. You know, it wasn't always, you know. Connie hadn't bought his business back yet and hadn't got it going yet. And um, so it wasn't like we had a, you know, a giant money tree out back, which everybody always thought there was with him. Right. Um, so it kind of made me go back to that time to race smart. And like, sometimes like, Hey, Clay, like we're already deep in the show. We're not going to improve our time here on Saturday afternoon, the heat of the day, just drive it to 500 feet so we can save parts to go on to the next race. Um, but then like, you know, after the Topeka race, um, Clay and Doug pulled me aside and said that Rick Ware was going to buy Clay's team. And, uh, I know, I knew the name, but I wouldn't have known Rick Ware if I tripped over him, uh, <laughs> you know, that day. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, you know, he came, Rick and uh, his team president, Robbie Benton, um, and RJ, one of their right-hand men for the NASCAR team, they came up to Brainerd and met them in person and, um, you know, forged this relationship. And I just absolutely love it. You know, I, I love working with Rick. He is an awesome guy. Um he is all about racing. This guy loves racing like you wouldn't believe. And I mean, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, all these things, um, we kind of think he's most partial to the drag racing that he likes the top fuel car the best. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's been great. And it's been great, like, um, with him because, you know, when I was at Coletta's, I ran a lot of, you know, the day-to-day -day operations of 
Palatta Motorsports. So I was a crew chief for Doug, but I also ran the day-to-day business. I was involved in a lot of aspects of what we did, you know, whether it was starting our CNC shop or a chassis shop or marketing hospitality, where with Rick, he does all that, him and his team, you know, with, with Robbie Benton, they take care of everything. So it's a situation for me that allowed me to be a crew chief. And, um, and I like that. And when we started last year, Rick had got all these new parts for us. You know, we had a brand new chassis. We had brand new blocks and heads and this and that and clutches. And we went out those first however many races and we stunk the joint up. And um, we, I remember we were at the Charlotte four wide and we lost first round. We shook the tires. And, um, I left there and I, um, that race and I was really dejected and, um, my, uh, my little Italian brother, Nicky Bonifani, he was going to drive back home to Roanoke on Monday morning. And, um, he called me up and says, Hey, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just licking my wounds. And he goes, well, let's go to breakfast. So we met at a Cracker Barrel and we talked and, and I kind of, you know, confessed to him that I was like, man, I don't know if I could do this anymore and be good at it, you know? And, uh, he's like, no, you're good. You know what you got to do. He said, you just got to figure it out. And I said, I thought I had it figured out when we left Vegas. And then we came to Charlotte and I looked like really smart (laughs) the first, (laughs) you know, all these qualifying runs. And then first round, we go up there and shake the tires and lose. And, um, he says, just look at all your information. You'll know, you'll know what you need to do. And, um, we went to Chicago and we didn't get in the show till the last, last round of qualifying. But when we did, I was like, okay, I think I know what we need to do now. And then on race day, we looked like geniuses the whole day. And we ended up winning that race. And that really kind of, um, built my confidence back up in, in what I was doing. And, um, and it built everybody's confidence up. You know, the one thing I'll say during that whole time that we were struggling, uh, not Rick Ware, not Clay Milken, not any of my guys like ever gave up on me. They kept telling me like, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. You're going to be fine. Don't, don't worry about it. Like, and, um, that meant a lot to me to have like a group of people, you know, like Rick Ware and Robbie Benton and Clay and Donna Milliken and everybody on our team to have my back. And that was a feeling that really made me feel good about, you know, where we were going, you know, down yeah. the road. And, um, you know, and then we, we ended up doing better. You know, we still try to figure things out, but I told Rick and Clay, before the season ever started, I said, when we go to Denver, we're winning that race. Cause I said, I know I had a race there and I like racing there. Yeah. And, uh, and we won the race, you know, and then, uh, you know, winning that St. Louis later in the year, that was great. And, um, we were very inconsistent last year. Uh, when we were on, we were on and when we were off, we were off and we had a lot of goofy things go on. We made, you know, mistakes where we shot ourselves in the foot but um you know we we've added Nikki Bonifani to the team 
and I just love Nicky. He's, 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 like I said, he's like my little Italian brother. And, um, I, we're a good mix. You know, we work together at Coletta's as crew guys. We work together. Um, he was a, a crew chief with my brother on the DHL car. And the three of us always work very closely together, especially when Del Wersham was driving that car. And we've got a great relationship. And, um, and I can already see like the things that we're doing. I think this year is going to be really, really awesome for us. And having Nikki in, in my corner is big. And, um, and I kind of learned about having somebody like that, especially when, um, uh, Bruce Reed, my, my brother from down in Australia came and helped me last year for a good part of the races. It's like having somebody like, like Bruce there with me was, was huge. And then now having Nikki here, you know, all year, that's just going to be, you know, even better. And, and, and I didn't think I'd be able to say that, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but it's, it's, I, I was very picky about who I wanted to work with. And I've told people, you know, that, um, you know, I'd either want to work with Nikki or, or Bruce Reed or my brother. And, um, you know, my brother loves what he's doing up there with Jr. and Todd Smith. So I'm like, yeah, that's not even a discussion that <laughs> I can yeah. even have at this moment. Um, and he probably wouldn't even want to listen to me anyway, but, um, <laughs> but with Nikki, it worked out good because, you know, Nikki and his, his wife, Sarah and son, Blake, they live in Roanoke, Virginia. So for him, oh, nice. it worked out good. It's a close ride and it just, it made sense. Yeah. That, you know, I, I, I think back to Chicago and that was, that was the race that I was like, yep, Jimmo's got his mojo back. It, 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 everything started to come together. Yeah. There were some ups and downs, but you could really see that things were progressing with you guys. Um, when you come into the uh, pro shootout, you guys were knocking them down. I mean, you know, for obviously there's money on the line, uh, but there was a lot of testing going on when it comes to testing. What exactly are you looking for? And, you know, each run, because I know it's not the same thing every time. And obviously, when you're testing at a track, it doesn't necessarily apply to the next track that you go to. But you're you're gathering information. Uh, what are those what are those types of information that you're gathering that can be applied to the race coming up in Gainesville? Well, so uh, Nikki and I, when he first come um, to work over the winter, you know, I I shared with him what I thought our struggles were last year and where we needed to work on. And for us, it was getting that split time between the 330 foot mark and the 660 foot mark, improving that time. And I, and I said, if we can improve that by just this amount, you know, our 368s will turn into 366s and then 365s. Yeah. So um, him and I, along with our crew, like we worked real hard at trying to figure out what that is. And Nikki's like, man, this car makes a lot of power. He said, so it's got to be, we're missing something in the bell housing. Well, of course, Nikki, you know, he's, he's forgot more about clutch discs and, and clutch setup than most people will ever know. And, uh, so we, we took a gamble on changing a few things. And, um, when we went out to test, like our goal was, we didn't want to go and make full runs while we were testing. Um, because we have a new car being built, so we didn't really have a spare car. 
And I said, I want to make sure that we get to the, to the shootout part of the race that we haven't done anything, you know, dumb at that point. Cause at the end of last year, as you know, we went through a couple chassis at that point, but, um, so we learned a lot through testing. Um, the one run that we made against, uh, Cletus in in that Corvette (laughs) of his, like we, we sent it down there for a full pass and it was like, all right, cool. We figured we've got some things figured out here. (laughs) And then when we got into the race, we just, um, you know, proceeded on with that. And, um, you know, we qualified well on that first night, that Thursday night. And then, uh, the really cool run, you know, was, was the, the, the Friday night run. And we lined up against Doug Coletta who had taken the number one spot from us earlier in the day. And, um, you know, we were, we were like, Hey, we're in the show. Let's just see what we can do. And we ran the 366, and that was cool. And it was a big shot in the arm for our team because a lot of what we were working on seemed to work really well. And we thought, man, we can really like, make something pretty special with this car and uh and it was a great weekend for us and it was good because the track was both good and it wasn't so good so like first round on saturday uh nobody got down the racetrack um in the top fuel class except for us yeah and we went 379 and um and, and we've got our hot tracks set up working pretty good, but what we were most excited about, cause we struggled on the cold tracks last year and we finally figured some things out towards the end of the year. And I think now, you know, I, you know, to be like a, a, a top car and, and the way this countdown thing works, everything, like when the countdown starts, that's when the tracks really start getting really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to have your act together. So like, we had to figure out how to pick up, you know, two, three hundreds on that. And I think we've, we have, and, and we're real, real excited about that. And we're real excited about that. We went down the track first round when nobody else was getting down the track. So I think, I think things are going to, you know, I'm hoping knocking on wood here that everything's going to be great. <laughs> are you going to be testing a little bit in Gainesville? No, we, um, we decided not to, yeah. um, we thought about it and I'm like, you know, I, I did that last year. We tested on Wednesday and it screwed us all up. I just want to go there, get there on Friday and go make our runs and, and just treat it as it's the next race after Bradenton and go from there. And, uh, I, I feel like we've got a good, good plan in place and we're, we're definitely excited about Gainesville. Yeah, I'm excited for you guys. Um, like I said, Bradenton really showed a lot with this team. And you guys have a lot of momentum coming in here to Gainesville. And, uh, you know, having a good nucleus is very important from top to bottom. And uh, it's definitely coming together for you guys. And it's, I mean, no other better guy to work for than Clay. I mean, I mean, what can you say about that guy, right? <laughs> oh, he, I, I tell you what, he is an awesome human being, uh, in my opinion. And, um, you know, I've been pretty lucky in my racing career, you know, um, you know, like I like working for the Coletta family, like you could pick any one of those Colettas out and yeah. say, yeah, they're, they're the best ever. And, um, you know, whether it's Connie Scott or Doug and, um, 
you know, and working with Clay, um, you know, Clay is, I, I tell people he's a lot like Doug Coletta. He just talks a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he has that kind of talent, you know, where he's just so good and he knows where he's at on the racetrack. And, and the, the thing that I really like about Clay is like, if he makes a mistake, I mean, last year at Seattle, he red lit and he, he comes back, he goes, it was just time to go. I don't know what to tell you. And it's like, <laughs> good enough. You know, he doesn't make excuses or anything like that. And he's, right. he's just a great guy and very intense about his racing, um, cares about the team. He, the things he does with his social media stuff is unbelievable. You know, that, that puts eyes on our team and, and, yeah. uh, you know, when we were in Bradenton, that week leading up to that deal, I got there and he's like, Oh, Hey, we're going to go put our car on Cletus's wheel dyno. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. so, he had all these crazy things lined up and I'm like, man, I don't know about this, but, uh, you know, he's, how nervous uh, were you about that? Oh, I was nervous. <laughs> you know, if, if I was a smoker, I would have smoked about three cartons of cigarettes before I ever did that. But, um, he, uh, you know, Clay's just one of these guys that just tries to get eyes on our team any way that he can, you know, yeah. all positive stuff. And, uh, and that deal worked out great for us, you know, um, from what I'm hearing, it, it worked out really, really well. So that's exciting, yeah. you know, for our team moving forward. And, uh, he, he's just an awesome guy and, um, I love racing with him. And I told him, you know, and I told Rick Ware and, you know, I, I'd love to just finish my career you know, as a crew chief, like tuning clay and, you know, working for Rick. And I just, you know, really, really love, you know, working for these guys. And, you know, clay just makes you want to work harder. Rick, where he wants, he, he makes you want to work harder and, and we're learning every day and Rick's learning what it's like to own a top fuel team. And, yeah. and, uh, it's just an, an awesome situation for me. Well, Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Uh, hopefully, we can have you on again sometime during the season. Uh, I'll be in touch. And uh, good luck in Gainesville. I will see you guys there. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And, and that next guest you have, tell them, uh, tell them Pop says hi. Uh, we've always uh, – Austin's like There he son. is. <laughs> He's like my son. Hi, son. How's it going, Pop? <laughs> He's the best. I love that kid. He's like, he's amazing. Amazing yeah, he's driver, amazing person. And and uh, I love that Proc family. They're good people. Indeed. Thanks, Thanks Jim. Jim. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Have a good night, man. That is Jimmo. One of the best in the business. And uh, it's nice to see him getting his groove back and uh, those guys getting strong. This guy here, I called him during the uh, pro shootout against Matt Hagen, who is was the and is the Roman Reigns of the funny car division. He does sit at the head of the table as the champion, but this guy has a story that he wants to finish. And I call Austin Proc the American Nightmare. He's the one who got the bag at the pro shootout. Man, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, no problem. Uh, anytime. So... I want to talk to you about your cooking. I had no idea you were a chef. Um, what inspired you to go to school and learn how to cook? Uh, 
I've always had a love for cooking, I guess. Um, it really started with my mother to start out, you know, being a young kid, uh, watching her cook in the kitchen and just trying to help out. And uh, growing up, we had a chef at John Force Racing uh, named Johnny Rosher, who actually has uh, two restaurants up in Lake Tahoe now. Um, Zaz is uh, a lakefront restaurant, and then he's got a uh, taco joint as well called Peppers. Um, so when I would go to the racetrack, if I wasn't helping the guys working on the race cars, I was in the kitchen with him and, uh, he would teach me, you know, the tricks and trades and, you know, the basics of, uh, you know, being a chef. And I think that's where my passion really started. And, uh, I just kind of fell in love with it since and coming out of high school, I, you know, obviously I wanted to go straight to the racetrack and, you know, try and make a career out of that. But my parents wanted me to go, uh, attend a college of some sort. I applied to some business schools, you know, I thought that might go, you know, hand in hand with racing, but yeah. I never really tried all that hard in high school. So, uh, didn't get ex accepted into any of those and, uh, fell in, fell in the hands of the culinary arts school. And it was one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. Now, my wife is a very good cook, but we watch these, uh, shows that guy has with a lot of these big time cooks that they go against each other um in this ladder system and they win a belt at the end are you able to just go in the cabinet and be like yeah i've got this i've got this let me throw this together and how does that come about like i i see a lot of things in my cabinet that will go together with something but i can't just drum up a meal <laughs> yeah no that's one of my favorite ways to cook is you know when you're you're running low on stuff you haven't made it to the grocery store and you're like man, what do I have in here that I could, you know, uh, make delicious? And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a mystery basket digging through your pantry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't use any recipes. I honestly dream up most of the meals I cook. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll dream about it in my sleep and I'll wake up. And the first thing I'm thinking about is dinner, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'll run to the grocery store after work. Um, tonight, I after work, I went to the grocery store. Uh, I've been prepping some food. Once I get off here, I'm going to uh, make me and my girl some dinner. We're doing uh, surf and turf uh, street tacos with carne asada and some uh, Cajun shrimp. So made a nice uh, chipotle mayo from scratch, some pico de gallo, and uh, can eat good tonight. Maybe have a that margarita. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Now, you get thrusted into this funny car, and, you know, obviously, you know, want Robert to get well, but, man, what an opportunity to be able to race with your family and not, it's not just racing. I mean, you guys are contending for a championship and dude, you're off to a good start uh, getting a nice fat check at the uh, pro superstar shootout. Yeah, no, it really is a dream come true. I mean, uh, we wanted this, you know, wanted to race together from day one, you know, uh, that's all I've ever wanted to do is drive a race car for a living. All my uh, brother Thomas has wanted to do is be a crew chief and, you know, my dad taught us everything we know. So to work together and, uh, you know, at the highest level of a sport is just surreal. It still it still hasn't really hit us yet, um, but we're sure enjoying the moment. And and it, to start out like we did, you can't you can't write that any better. You know, uh, it's just <laughs> unreal. And, um, you know, I'm I'm very blessed to have this opportunity. It, it came in a, you know, a rough or sad way. Um, yeah. But. Uh, we're going to take advantage of it and, uh, you know, have a lot of fun and hopefully we'll have a lot of success to go with that. Now, what did the big man say after you won the trophy and the check? What do you have to say that night? 
Uh, I think he was just as stunned as uh, we were, you know, like, yeah. you know, what everybody as a competitor, you know, when you roll into an event, someone asks you, what are your expectations? Well, we want to go run low ET every round and we want to win the race. And uh, it's exactly what we did. You know, uh, you just got to believe in yourself. And, you know, John just told me good job. He was uh, he was very proud, uh, proud to see it done with, you know, all of our family surrounding us, you know, uh, I had a lot of family fly into that race. You know, my mom was there. And then obviously my dad and brother uh, were turning the knobs and uh, I was stabbing and steering. Now, was that car completely set up and comfortable for you? Or was there still adjustments that needed to be made uh, after you guys came out of the pro shootout? Um, It was very close. You know, we had a couple weeks to uh, the day you guys uh, found out the news that I was driving was about the same day I did. (laughs) So uh, it was pretty last minute, but we didn't have to adjust much. Um, Me and Robert are, you know, uh, pretty close in size as in height and like, uh, you know, uh, arms and legs. So uh, just a few things moved around, some comfort things. Like I like a different toe hoop than he likes, Um, but I left like the push brake in it. And um, just I had a seat insert cord from 2018 when I licensed in a funny car. Uh, So I just threw that in there and – just went and drove it. The The biggest difference is, is our weight is uh, quite a bit different. So when we went down to Florida, we had a few game plans of if it's going to screw up the weight balance or not and had options and uh, ended up getting it all dialed in just in time. That's what's up. It takes time. Uh, you know, that, that stuff takes time to dial in and to have that car come in the way it did. And uh, that that's one thing out of the way coming into Gainesville. Um, when you come from a dragster back to a funny car, um, how, how many hits did it take before you started feeling, you know, comfortable to where like, yep, I remember how this feels. Um, I would say Monday when I warmed that thing up, uh, before we started testing on Tuesday, it, I was obviously very nervous going into this deal. You know, you're, you're getting in a totally different beast. Haven't drove one in, you know, six years. I made one lap in it in six years. So uh, you can call that a, a wash. Um, yeah. But I was obviously very nervous. And when we warmed that thing up on Monday, it just calmed my nerves. And I just felt right at home. Um, the first run, I had my hands full. It dropped the cylinder right at the hit. And, man, that thing made a 90-degree turn. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to – I'm driving it, you know. I'm full lock. And uh, I get it back in the groove and ends up smoking the tires. And, I come back to the trailer with my tail in between my legs because I didn't know it dropped the cylinder. You know, I haven't drove one in so long. I I don't know the noise and, you know, the reaction and the whole nine yards. So I come back, apologizing, and they go, man, you did an awesome job. Like that thing had a hole out before you even stepped on the gas. Like, so, uh, you know, I I was catching on quick and um, these race cars are very tough to drive and they can throw you a lot of curveballs. So, uh, I'm comfortable, but I definitely haven't learned it all. Um, I've got a ton to learn still, and uh, we got a long ways to go before, uh, you know, um, I can call myself a true funny car driver, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I thought you did an excellent job, too. Uh, a lot of things you did that on that weekend were a seasoned driver type stuff, um, especially when the hole was out there. Could you tell the fans, like, what is it? what is the difference and the biggest difference from being in a dragster versus being in a funny car and are there differences in how they feel on the launch and when that clutch goes one-to-one? 
Yeah, uh, the dragster, I always have called it like the Cadillac of NHRA drag racing. It's real long and it, you know, it rides kind of like a boat, you know, it's yeah. got a lot of, got a lot of give and take, you know, uh, the frame is the suspension essentially, but like when you're sitting in the water box in a dragster, you're kind of all alone, you know, cause everybody that's starting the engine is behind you. You know, right. you don't really see very many faces, um, where the funny car, you know, the body's up, everybody's crowded around you. You got this. 500 cubic inch bomb in front of you that's cackling uh it's really badass uh <laughs> but uh, uh the launch the launch the dragster 60 foot's a lot of a lot quicker um but it's you know you point and shoot kind of in a dragster you know the, the chassis kind of does it makes moves but you don't really steer it that much leaving because you know it's going to recoil and come back um, yeah. and you kind of, it's very finite movements, you know, rolling down the racetrack where, uh, the funny car, you're sitting on top of the rear end, which for me, I've driven a lot of different race cars in my career, been very lucky. Um, but none of them have I ever sat on top of the rear tires. Uh, so yeah. that's a totally different feel, you know, like my explanation, the best to kind of give it to like the average folk, it's almost like driving a forklift, you know, when you first start driving one, it feels really weird because you do a little bit and it does a lot, you know, because you're, you're at the end of the stick essentially. Right. Um, so yeah, the handling is totally different. Um, obviously your vision's a lot better in a dragster, but you are sitting lower to the ground. Um, so like, it's more like of a go-kart effect, you know, you see everything yeah. flying past you. It makes it feel quicker, uh, where the funny car you're up a little higher, but you can't see, you know, I can barely see over the injector and then you have almost zero peripheral, um, you know, and you're, you're looking through a windshield that's much further away from you. The body's rocking, uh, the vision's definitely more poor. Uh, but to finish your question, the, the, um, clutch engaging a dragster, the Jeep pull on a dragster is pretty linear. You know, it, it gets up and then it kind of runs across the page. It's like one constant smooth pull, yeah. especially when you're really flying, you know, like when we ran that 63, that thing got up on the tire and just planted me the whole way. And it was one of the, it was smooth as glass. I explained it in my interview at the top end yeah. where a funny car, you don't have all the traction. So when you hit the gas, it gets, you know, it sets you back in the seat. And then um, the crew chiefs, what we call jiggle, we, uh, you know, jiggle the timing and they knock timing out of it to slow the car back down, settle the tire back in. And then yeah. about the three thirty. The clutch comes in and it almost clunks again and tries to pick the front end up. Um, so you get almost like two hits of the throttle essentially in a funny car. Um, and that makes it really, really tough to drive uh, because if you don't have that thing squared up when the clutch is coming back in at the 330, that thing's going exactly where you're pointing it. And you see a lot of drivers get out of hand, um, you know, in that area of the racetrack. Yeah. That explains the uh, what how it's so violent when it does drop a hole at that point. It really throws the car one way or the other, and it gets extremely sideways. Uh, that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah. The thrust is incredible on these funny cars. Um, I don't know if it's solely because it's a shorter wheelbase or maybe because the car's more aero-dependent, but when these things drop a hole, like – if you're trucking and it drops a hole past the 330, it feels like you got T-bone. I mean, yeah. it turns faster and you, you know, even know what to do. So uh, you got to be very, Gary Selzy always told me you need to have the 10 foot rule in uh, funny car. 
whenever you think it's time to lift, you're going to keep going 10 foot further the direction that you're going. So uh, you really got to be ahead of the race car and be on top of the ball driving one of these things. Now, you guys are we're coming into the first race of the season. Uh, I know that some people will be testing. Uh, will you guys be making some test hits? Yeah, we're going to run, um, I believe, uh, Wednesday. Going to get mm -hmm. down there Tuesday, set up, um, try and make, a, you know, three or four hits on Wednesday and, uh, you know, try and get this thing dialed in. And, you know, hopefully we can pick up where we left off in Bradington, but uh, we got nitro in the tank, so there's no telling. You know, these cars are very unpredictable. Uh, they can they change their mind when they want. So uh, fingers crossed, but we're getting everything dialed in at the shop. Uh, regrouping. We made a lot of runs in, in Bradenton. I think we made 16 yeah. or 17 runs. So, uh, you know, just regrouping, making sure we got all our ducks in a row to, uh, you know, hopefully try and go get another uh, trophy. Now, do you feel like those runs will be full pulls or maybe just to half track? Uh, you're talking about Jim Proc here. We're going to the lights. <laughs> <laughs> no half in it. And, We're going yeah, all the way. And, and I'm the same way, you know, I, yeah. I, I love, there's nothing better than tossing the laundry. Yeah. And, and it probably you get, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what, what people are working on. And that, that's something, uh, a question I wanted to have for Jimmo uh, down the road, but you know, what's the difference between guys just hitting and running the 60 feet. You're obviously looking for something specific. And when you run it through full, you obviously are looking for something specific, but those two things are obviously different. Yeah, typically, you know, typically you'll do either a just past the 330, um, you'll go to the eighth mile or you'll go to the finish line. If okay. you're just going to the 330, you're just trying to check out your early clutch, um, you know, and see seeing how quick the thing is from the six six or the 60 foot clock to the 330 split, like Jim yeah. O was talking about the yes. 330 to 660 split. So yeah. they study that early split as well. Um, so if you're lifting past three, right at the 3:30, you're looking for that. If you're going to the 6:60, more than likely, um, you're trying something in the engine compartment, and you're not sure if it's going to be happy past the 6:60. So you click it there just so you can come back and inspect the parts. Because uh, if something is going wrong and you drive it to the lights, it's going to be uh, pretty explosive. Yeah, and in a funny car. That ain't that's not fun at all. Are you prepared for that? I mean, I've always said I, I love funny cars and they're great, but I, I'm not that guy. I, I want the engine behind me when that thing goes. <laughs> yeah, I've always loved funny cars and always thought it was, you know, really cool to have the, the engine in front of us. Yeah, uh, I don't think anybody's ever ready or prepared for uh, one of these things exploding on them. But, uh, you know, it's part of the job and, and yeah. part of the risk we take as race car drivers. So. Do I want it to happen? Absolutely not. Will it happen? A hundred percent. Yes. You know, it's not if it's when, and, um, you know, I'll try and do the best job I can to, uh, you know, keep it in my lane and, uh, get it stopped as uh, quick and safely as I can. Drag racing ma'am said, what's more challenge? What's more challenging the top fuel car or the funny car? Uh, I would have to say the funny car. It's just more violent. It wants to hunt around. Um, you know, it, it really reminds me a lot of my non-wing sprint car days. Uh, you're really up on the wheel. You know, when you make a really nice clean run, like like Robert Height was a phenomenal funny car driver, um, you know, on keeping that thing straight. You yeah. know, it was on railroad tracks. It would leave the starting line and he, he knew exactly how to aim that thing so it would wash just right and just 
end up right where he wanted it. And, you know, he wouldn't even have to touch the wheel where uh, I'm a little newer. I'm still getting, getting my early driving under control. Um, yeah. I'm definitely, you know, I make about one more steering wheel move than, than him right now. And then I can, I kind of settle in and go straight, but yeah, overall the funny car is much harder to drive. Um, you know, it's uh, the longer wheelbase just makes it want to go straighter and the shorter wheelbase makes it want to hunt around a lot more. Yeah. Uh, it, those things are uh, really cool to watch. And it's amazing how much movement there is in that short period of time. There's a lot of work going on inside that, inside that funny car uh, in that short period of time. Um, man, I'm super excited for you. Uh, it couldn't be, I mean, I'd be over the moon to uh, be able to race with my family. And uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys are going to be able to do this year. And I hope you get a chance to race the full season and uh, hoist the Wally at the end. Man, that would be something. And uh, I know Robert, man, I know he would be over the, over the moon uh, if that could happen. Yeah, no, it really is special. You know, we, we just got to enjoy this because you never know when an opportunity is going to come a, about like this again. Uh, like I said earlier, it's been a dream of ours to all race together and, uh, you know, it's happening. It's real life right now. So, um, I hope, I hope we can do a lot of damage. Uh, I think we're all capable of it. Just got to have a little lady luck on our side and, uh, yeah. stay focused. Um, our, our, you know, our approach to racing, uh, all three of us in the entire Cornwell tools, uh, team is, is the same. Uh, we're all very hungry, all very determined. And, uh, you know, we're in there each and every day. Uh, you know, trying to figure out ways to make things better, how to improve things and, you know, staying hungry. And, uh, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, Scott has, I got one more question. Scott has a question for you here. Uh, I think I know the answer to this one, but uh, what's an ex a successful season for you? Uh, like I said, in the start of the show, uh, you know, every we're competitors and everything we do, we want to win. So uh, obviously, in that case, we want to go and win the championship, and we know this car is capable of doing it, and uh, I'm going to bust my tail to do the absolute best job I can, and, um, you know, if I drive to the uh, expectation I, you know, put on myself, I think we're plenty capable of winning a championship, so uh, we'll just have to see how the cards fall, and uh, we're going to keep hard at it. Austin, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Uh, we'll be looking to have you on during the season um man it's it was a blast having you on and uh i'll see you in gainesville my man all right sounds good man uh see you there and thanks for having me on uh keep a lookout on social media for my dinner oh i will i will <laughs> <laughs> thanks brother all right see ya austin proc ladies and gentlemen uh i hope you guys learned something today uh man all good stuff all good stuff here um, from both guys, uh, I, I, like I said, the objective is to try to educate, and uh, that's that's what we want to do here on the Not Bland Show. Now, I'm going to close with one thing, and um, I don't know if you guys were able to see it. There was something put out there. Uh, Tricky Ricky had something to say about um, you know some of the things with Vance and Hines and. Some things he agrees and disagrees with, and, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I, I, I'll i hold on the first half about the Harley stuff. 
the second half about the Suzuki stuff, though, and I thought we had a good conversation with Eddie Krawick on the show uh, about that. Um, look, I, I don't think that they would do anything, and I thought we made that clear on our show. Uh, I don't think they would do anything to hurt the class. Um, doesn't benefit anyone. Doesn't bit any benefit anyone to give people inferior parts uh, to not give them the same parts that you're getting. Uh, it actually makes your business look bad. You don't look trustworthy and no one wants to buy from you. Uh, second, the big statement there is go look at Kelly Klontz and what she ran at the end of the year. And you tell me if there's inferior parts out there, I'll wait and I'll be ready to get someone's answer. Go look at what they did in testing here with a 670. And you tell me if the opponents are getting inferior parts. Like I said, I'll wait and I'll be here. I'm not hard to find. So that's all I'm saying. Proof's in the pudding. Like I said, go back, watch the show. We had uh, Dan Wilkerson on. We had. Eddie Krawick on. We threw that question to him about that, and he made it pretty clear. It's all about the work. Nothing more than that. You're going to have to go out and do the work. And in Pro Stock Bike, it's all about the 60-foot time. Everything else falls into place if you have a good 60-foot time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching the show. I mean, the outpour of people subscribing to this show is just amazing and watching the show. I appreciate my family watching. I uh, appreciate my extended family watching. John, thank you. Both Johns. I appreciate you guys. Exactly. Don't be mad when a professional race team wins against a team are on the same scale and that's the facts at that moment they were not on the same scale and again like i said i'm not hard to find i'll be waiting for the answer and i know what that answer is so i know i won't hear from no one with that said this has been the not bland show it is powered by sportsjourney.com and everything nitro Ladies and gentlemen, go over to the YouTube page, subscribe, like, share. It's appreciated. Thank you so much for watching this show. I'm Dujanae Bland, and <laughs> we're out of here, baby.